When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before this episode of the Final Word Podcast, another quick update from our friends at Bricklane Brewing. We are grateful for Bricklane's support through the weekly episode, Storytime. Did you hear Daniel Norcross's wild 904 triumph? Are you kidding me? Start with Storytime 59 and then follow it up with Storytime 60. Totally worth it. And also the daily episodes. Adam and Jeff have been super busy. You can find all of those, the daily episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can watch them on the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel. There are currently 23,000 subscribers. We'd love to get that to 25,000. So if you are not a subscriber to the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel, please stop by, check it out, and if you like it, subscribe. And then you'll never miss a video. In Cricket, there are great partnerships. Podcasting is no different. It's the partnership between the show, Adam and Jeff, the sponsor, Brick Lane Brewing, and you, the listener. I'd use your name, but I don't know who you are. But thank you. In addition to subscribing to the YouTube channel, please check out Brick Lane Brewing on Instagram and Facebook. Say hello and tell them the final word sent you. You can order all your Brick Lane favorites at bricklanebrewing.com. It's a super easy way to get your hands on all of the various brews. Brick Lane Brewing, based and brewed in Melbourne, Australia. Great city, great beer. Thank you, Brick Lane Brewing, for being part of the final word. And as always, thank you for listening. That's enough from me. Now, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and the final word. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself And there's some stories I can tell you It's the final word, Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon It's a role reversal, I'm doing a bit of late night shopping It's one of the few times a year, Jeff, that it's late night where I am And you're having a glass of orange juice I've had a tin of beer watching the television, having about half an hour to myself before uh, jumping on the line with you. But such is the nature of both of our weeks with both of us working silly hours on various projects that we have been reduced to recording at five past 11 UK time (laughs) in the evening or in the night, knowing full well that I'll be up in about six and a half hours from now when Winnie who's sleeping above me so I'll I'll play within myself a bit today um decides to wake up and start saying from her cot through the baby monitor daddy cuddle daddy cuddle daddy cuddle daddy cuddle and I'll invariably go and get yep. her at 5 42 in the morning well how can you resist I mean that's the work of a young genius who knows the strengths of her game you know uh, she <laughs> she's she's analyzed her opponent she's she's worked out the weaknesses and she She's just gonna. She's just gonna hit that spot on the pitch again and again, and you will go. Ah, oh, I must get out of bed. Got to so, go get you know, her. Fair, fair play to her. Yeah, she knows the drill. I took her to the football yesterday. Not kind of for the first time, really, because of course I went to the AFLW with her in. Uh, well, I guess it was February, wasn't it, at Victoria Park? And I took her to an AFL London game a few weeks ago. But in terms of association football, shall we say, we spent mm-hmm. Bank Holiday Monday, my only day off between. I guess now and the end of the Bobbles Trophy and sometime in October, um, going up to Hemel Hempstead in about zone 12 or something to watch an away day for Dulwich where we piled on six goals in the second half and she had a grand old time identifying the ball and clapping at the right time and eating her weight and hot chips. So all is well in the winning world. <laughs> Very nice. Um, I'm, I'm having flashbacks to a 
a day. Was there a day during the World Cup when there was uh, a there was a non-playing day in between the semis and the final or something, and somehow we all ended up at a county match or similar at the Oval? Ooh, and where, where were we? Just remind me where we where were. Are you saying during the World Cup or the Ashes? During or? the 2019 World Cup, I'm pretty sure it was. We went to uh, a county game. Ashes. Maybe it was yes. There was a day in when we'd been doing a daily show every day, right, forever, and <laughs> and and there was something like you and me, and I think maybe Vish and Will McPherson and a couple of others had all posted things from being at this game, and Nick Tuvey was responding incredulously, saying, "You've been at the cricket every day for forty-five days, and on your one day off, you have all gone to the cricket." <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, says that. Um, yeah, I think I might have said this before. But someone invited people to post their favourite Simpsons jokes on Twitter a couple of weeks ago and, and mine was uh, the scene where Marge is in court being cross-examined by Lionel Hutz. Oh, the only yes. time he's actually a good lawyer, really, when he gets, uh, gets uh, <laughs> what did you do when you left the all-you-can-eat seafood restaurant? We drove around for three hours trying to find another all-you-can-eat seafood restaurant. Mm-hmm. And what did you do when none were open? We went fishing. And then Hutz says, does this sound like the words of a man? Does this sound like a man who had all he could eat? I rest my case. <laughs> Perfect. Well, yeah, it, it, it's a little bit like us with you know when when we get to that stage of a of a season or a summer that we kind of can't be kept away mm. from cricket grounds, Stockholm syndrome or something <laughs> like that. It's the only place where we feel secure. Yep. Well, look, I'll I'll do my best to operate on a morning schedule. It's not it's not my preferred way, but um, <laughs> I'll try to stay awake. You'll try to stay awake, and we'll get through it. So, speaking of busman's holidays and, and the like, and not being able to get away from cricket grounds, I have some good news to report off the top. The artist formerly known as the Vaccine Game, where we were going to bring together a Pfizer team against an AstraZeneca team and all the rest of it. Well, as I described on, I think, Storytime a fortnight ago, that's not going to happen. I'm not getting together two or three or four teams. What we are doing, however, is playing at the Dulwich Cricket Club, to stay with that Mm -hmm. theme from before, on the 17th of September. They have kindly rearranged their junior presentation day to accommodate us at 4pm that afternoon to play a game against the Oval Dream Boys, which is going to be captained by John Surtees, who uh, is the the boss of comms at Surrey. But uh, Mm -hmm. the key information here is for the first time ever, Jeff, we are going to turn out a final Word 11. How we are going to do that, how I'm going to pull that off between commitments with radio, uh-huh. television and Middlesex over the next week, I'm not entirely sure. However, or well, next, not week, but I guess it's two and a half weeks, but we will, we will do it. Yeah. We will make it so. There were a number of people that said they wanted to play in the vaccine game, so maybe I'll revisit their emails and messages to say that they very much wanted and needed to play in this, this T20 fixture and then to drink mm-hmm. the bar dry at, at Dulwich Cricket Club for kindly rearranging their schedule for us. But also, I, I suppose we will need to arrange all the other different jobs that we said we might do on the day, like live streaming the game for example and and scoring it and having doctors mm-hmm. on site and all these sorts of things <laughs> i think this is something that could be done if you harness the power of the discord because yes. there are a lot of enthusiastic people in there and so if, if like predominantly the people saying they wanted to play were people who were on the patron and were sending us messages that way and there'd be a few outside that as well so i'd say that's where it shall happen we'll make a channel 
um, and we'll we'll try to get people to help you organise it. Help Adam, help Adam, because help I me, can help tell myself you from from working with Adam in the, for the last couple of weeks. There's nobody in the world of cricket who is doing more at this stage. That includes the people playing the test match. <laughs> at least at least they get to knock off at half points, half past six, and you know hop in the ice bath and whatever. And they probably don't think about it much until you know nine thirty the next morning. But not this guy. Yeah, oh, and I should, by the way, I, I should thank on the way through here, Mark Henderson, who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago from Dulwich, talking about the girls and women's division. He was instrumental in getting us that beautiful ground. So, uh, yes, yeah, so it's 17th of September. It's a Friday afternoon. Final word 11. How about that? It's kind of a thing. So It's, it's going to happen. It's going to um, happen. It's going to happen. Just before I went to bed last night, I saw the news starting to come through that, that Dale Stain has finally called time on all professional cricket he's he's gone the way we would have wanted him to go via uh, quoting the counting, counting crows. crows lyrics um, <laughs> yep and you know good for him it's interesting Mr. that the Jones man let me i wish he had gone with that lyric <laughs> the one counting crows lyric i actually know or i am color blind that's the extent of my counting crows knowledge uh, mr jones or dr yeah. jones whatever it is and color blind that's it that's all i've got which has probably just been co-opted as a, a sort of anthem for white people who say oh what do you no i'm not i'm not racist i don't even see color i don't know i don't even know <laughs> Just at all, but the the purveyor of the the veins, you know, the veins that used to leap out of the neck, the terrifying stare. You know, Dale Stain looked angrier when he did get someone out than when he didn't. It was a rare pleasure watching a wild creature go about its work on the cricket field for so long. Yeah, and that peak bit of his career, I don't really know when that starts exactly, but let's call it. Say around so the Boxing Day test, oh eight sort of yeah. Yeah. Oh well, I was thinking more a year on the Boxing Day test of oh eight when he he won that test match uh, alongside JP Dumini. More with the bat than the ball, but you know both disciplines when they win the series in Oz and and continuing through for a few years from there, he was just unplayable in really any country. Uh, he led the world. Yeah. I remember talking to Michael Holding, massive name drop there, about this around the time that Kaisa Rabada was really blitzing. And putting to him, not on air, just kind of like saying offhandedly to him, is Rabada, you know, do you think he's the best bowler in the world now? And he kind of, um, in a in very sort of Michael Holding, self-assured kind of way, looked at me and said something to the effect of, well, maybe when Dale Stain retires, <laughs> you know, like he, he had this utmost respect for Stain being, you know, the best in the business. There was a good little stat pulled out. Well, not stat, um, projection, I suppose you could call it, by Stefan Schemmel, our colleague from the BBC, who said if Dale Stain had bowled as many deliveries in Test cricket as James James Anderson at his own strike rate, which was a ridiculous 42.3. Are you kidding? That is absurd. That, I mean, you compare that all time. Mm. That just, yeah. Um, Stain would have taken 839 test wickets. So, you know, 200 <laughs> on from Anderson. And that's not to say that he is a 200 wicket better bowler than, than Jimmy. It's just kind of illustrating that to take your wickets at that kind of strike rate means you're a very special talent. He did it at crazy pace he had conventional swing i'll always remember jeff that spell he bowled uh, at the wacker in ricky ponting's final test match where i think that's about as good as i've ever seen fast bowling conventionally and then the spell of reverse swing at port elizabeth in 2013 14 against australia to win him mm. a test late on the final day when he had it going the other way prodigiously and it showed what a, a deep bag of tricks he had and he was so quick and so good and so ferocious and yeah what a cricketer my favourite I ever saw was the spell he bowled to Tendulkar in 2011 maybe mm, um, mm. when India were over there and it was, you know, hot, sunny morning, track looked flat 
uh, it was not a bowler's day and he was getting the ball to hoop, absolutely hoop. And he got – maybe I'm trying to think if it was um, – whether it was Pajara at the very start of his career or whether it was Rahul Driver maybe, but the, getting the ball to basically go towards leg stump and then swing back before it pitched and then pitched and seamed back to hit the top of off, like crazy bowling. Mm. And Tendulkar was somehow keeping this out, but like, he was edging them, he was missing them, he was just surviving, and he hung on through this spell by the absolute ends of his fingernails and I think went on to make 100 in that test match. But just that half a dozen overs that Stain bowled in that spell was you know, as good as I've ever seen test cricket. Do you think that watching cricket in South Africa sometimes all the bowlers look about a yard quicker? I mean, it's just, I don't know whether that's a, an optical illusion or something about the way that Supersport broadcasts the game, but Stain was part of that. Like, you'd, you'd flick on the telly of a night in Australia, as I often would when I before I moved over here, and, and you know, it's sort of prime cricket watching time, half past eight, nine o'clock at night, mm. and watching him bowl with that sort of that approach, a really distinctive approach, like sprinting to the crease, not too dissimilar to Mark Wood, I suppose, now. And that front-on action. And yet, I think when you, you're taught to bowl as a kid, you, you, you're conditioned to thinking that if you are side-on, you are more likely to bowl out swingers. Think conventionally. Mm. Lily, think Damien Fleming springs to mind. There'll be others. And if you are front-on, you're more likely to be able to move the ball back towards the right-hander. Well, Stain was more or less front on most of the time mm. and got the ball to swing away. So, yeah, he, he was just such a, 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 a such a one-off, really. Uh, and it's a shame, thinking back now, that he, that tour of Australia that he had in 16-17 ended so quickly at the Wacker, which was contributed to by falling off a surfboard, of course, which is part of it, that he was a... He's a lover of life more more broadly. He's not just a Mr. cricketer. Mr. Jones, yeah, <laughs> <They're> me. <laughs> but yeah, he, um, felt, I remember. I think Fidos broke that story, didn't she? That he'd fallen off the surfboard or whatever it was. And yeah, he probably wasn't quite the same bowler after that. And you know, came back and played a bit of the short form circuit stuff with the long hair and so on. But no, mm. what he when he was at his best, it was with the red ball, bowling fast, bowling in South Africa, uh, a true champion. Liam Plunkett has also formally retired from county cricket. He's gone to America. I want to live in America. I want to live in America. I want to live in America. Off he goes. He's going to turn out for the USA at age 42 or whatever it is. Feels that way. I think at the next World Cup he's 38. I'm not yeah, I'm not completely across the qualification process here, but on the assumption that he can be eligible to play at the 20 20 what would it be 2023 world cup and the mm-hmm. usa would need to qualify and they're a long way from doing that but they're in that next tier down so they're not without a puncher's chance of getting there i suppose it's more likely that usa will qualify at the world cup after when they expand it to 2027 you know, i don't yeah. really see them getting there in, in the current 10 team monstrosity uh, which is exactly I don't what think it is so. i think it's fairly safe to say yeah. that's unlikely but now. still his career will continue over there he's uh, married to an american so so it goes but yeah he's been on surrey's books the last couple of years there was some debate on social media today as to whether plunkett was retired off or pensioned off too early from the england system of course his final game for his country was a World Cup win where he took three wickets at Lords and bowled so well through that tournament. And sure, the conditions probably helped him. I didn't sort of appreciate some of the the backhanded sniping at him on the way through. I mean, you can kind of be, whether it's true or not that he should have been retired off when he was retired off, uh, or whether, true is the wrong word, whether it was the right decision or not, I think we can kind of sit back and forget that and just celebrate the fact that this guy um, had a really interesting career, uh, which uh, led towards him becoming a bit of a white ball specialist. But I remember that spell 
Bell. He bowled at Sydney uh, in early 2007 to knock over the Australian top order uh, as a genuine swing bowler. And then he came back, reinvented himself as a hit-the-deck seamer, bowled quick for England when he got his opportunities at test level in 2014. And that kind of opened up this new world as a as a 50-over bowler, which he took full advantage of, and he'll continue doing that. And, yeah, I, I sort of think that it was a bit unnecessary turning it into a, a retrospective debate around whether he was retired early and then some people advancing the case that, well, you know, of course he was retired at the right time. Like, who cares? Like, let's just sort of mm. say that, yeah, who cares if we say that he was retired off too early? Does it matter an awful lot? No, it doesn't. Let's celebrate a, a really interesting career and, and one that ended with a World Cup at Lords, and, and he was a big part of that. Well, it's notable that he popped up on Storytime last weekend as being part of a test team in 2006, I think it was. Yep, and that's right. was still a, a, a dominant part of the 2019 World Cup final. It gives you some sense of the, um, you know, the, the different incarnations that he took through his career. I should mention, um, thinking of Storytime, we may not have it this weekend because we've got the test on and everything else and we're not sure that we'll get time to do it. So don't be... Don't don't bank on it if you are, because it, it may not happen. I'm just flagging that now. I'm going to go one step further. We are definitely pausing story time this week because uh, in order to put story time on, it takes about, I don't know. Well, I don't want to put an, a number of hours on it, but it's a lot of hours. And there are hours that, Jeff, with your work on the Paralympics at the moment and my myriad commitments this week, I, I just don't see us putting in the, the spade work. Mm-hmm. But we will be back uh, with it the week after when we've had a bit of a chance to take stock. But we will have daily shows every day. Hopefully that'll satisfy you um, if you're following our feed day to day. One other point on Plunkett before we move on. He played the only games that England lost in that World Cup were games that Plunkett didn't play. Every game he played in, they win. So correlation, causation, you know, make your own mind up. But he was a big contributor. I love the fact that he took his 50th wicket for England I think was in 2017, if I recall correctly, which comes mm-hmm. a decade or 11 years after he made his debut for England, which again shows that he had to really find... He did it the hard way, and and I love cricketers like that. And I admire the fact that he wants to go and have another crack at doing it a different way in a different country, and wouldn't that be wonderful if he gets a chance to be on the world stage alongside Ian Holland, who, who is also playing for America at the moment. That'd be kind of cool. The Daily should be interesting. We've got, uh, as they say, commentator Claxon, the series is poised. <laughs> it's well poised. It's one all. India, England. We, we've talked a lot on The Daily shows about uh, the minutiae of what happened during the days themselves, but the sort of broader setup of the series, not so much. I just feel like it's very 2019 Ashes in that you've got two teams with shithouse batting and great bowling attacks who are knocking each other over for ridiculous scores at regular intervals. And it's really just about who's going to get bowled out for under 150 today and whoever does, the other side may well win the test match or they may get bowled out themselves. I think we were saying 4-0 India after Lords, and then other people are saying 3-1 England after after Headingley. So I don't think it's going to be as straightforward as that. It's just it's going to be a, a simple matter of who screws it up yeah. <laughs> badly enough to win the test, which India did within two hours of, of the first one beginning. The yeah. Second, the third one, the last one. You know what I mean. Yeah, no, I, I do. I, I don't know whether our YouTube comments are necessarily a great filter for um, the consensus of thought because a lot of people are getting <laughs> sacked in there every single day, it seems. Oh, yeah, though. everyone's been sacked. The whole top six got sacked. Yes. I was like, who are you going to bring in? Who's available? Yes, I <laughs> saw Pajara copying it after he made his 91. I'm like, come yeah. on, please give me strength. Yeah. It's 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 always good when when a series is is poised and dare to dream. You know, if there's a the, the ideal situation, I suppose, would be a nail biting draw at the Oval where both teams get their shit together with the bat. And I don't know. I feel like 
this is a stupid comment, but I'll go with it anyway. Maybe England looks the more stable of the top six at the moment. I mean, I don't know. I I, I say it. I want to retract the comments as soon as I say it. But, you know, Burns in good nick. Hamid looks set on the basis of one innings. I don't know how I'm, you know, Milan on the basis of one innings. One innings Roots yeah. having a worldly. Then yeah. they're going to have to rejig a wee bit. Yeah. I mean, we know that Bairstow's wicket-keeping. Where will he bat? Sam Billings has been brought into the squad as cover, but, but Bairstow will have the gloves. Will they keep Bairstow at five? Will they let him bat seven? Will they find a spot for Ollie Pope? Ollie Pope, as Yasrana pointed out on the Wisdom podcast, averages 100 at the Oval. Mm. You know, you can make a case that he likes batting at his home ground, mm. never played a test match there. He's also barely played cricket since he got yeah, injured. Yeah, it? it's a risk, but as uh, well, on, on the other hand, I mean, no one's played a lot of red ball cricket before this series, have they? So if he's fit, uh, maybe that's sufficient. Speaking of, Chris Wokes played a T20 game on Friday, played a second 11 game for Warwickshire last week. Apparently he bowled the house down in the nets today. He's clearly playing. So maybe Sam Curran, another hometown boy at Surrey, comes out for that mm-hmm. test in favour of Curran, uh, in favour of Wokes rather. Wokes being a right-hander, mm-hmm. that helps to a certain extent nullify the Ashwin factor because surely Ashwin plays, if not for Ishant Sharma, then one of the other quicks in rotation. So there's that going on. There's a bit here. Mark Wood might be fit. I mean, I don't know whether I'm going to risk if it me. If it's me, I'm not risking Mark Wood. I'm holding him back for the fifth test match. I'm keeping my powder dry there. But, mm. you know, maybe they want to find a way to give James Anderson or possibly even Ollie Robinson a rest. We saw that reported in the press over here that they might look at resting one or the other, given that it is back-to-back-to-back to finish the, the summer or finish the series. So, yeah, as always with England, seemingly, Jeff, I can think of about six different combinations as to how they might set up. That's a very England thing. I mean, remember that when we were growing up in the Australian team, it was like, you know, there would be 11 cricketers who would play for Australia and maybe a 12th if someone was out of form at some stage during the summer. It mm. does not feel like that with England right yeah, now. It, yeah. it does feel there volatile. Would be 11 cricketers and there would be Andy Bickle um, and that was how it, <laughs> that was how it would work <laughs> summer in summer out you knew how things stood you know yes. if someone hurt themselves Andy Bickle would play a test match yeah uh, that was about it control C control V but, but Josh Butler's not playing either I should say so we, we, we might yeah. have skipped over that so yeah he's out of the 11 on account of the fact that his wife's having a baby which is fueled all of this speculation that he won't play test cricket again and, like, I kind of understand where the people it's are coming from. I get where they're coming from in that, like, if Bairstow does well as wicketkeeper, we're kind of back to square one, aren't we? We're back to 2016, 17, 18, where Bairstow was principally the wicketkeeper, who, yeah. who, whose batting was... But that's going to assume Bairstow does well as the wicketkeeper. He hasn't exactly. made a lot of runs recently. Exactly. He's got starts, hasn't he, through the series. So yeah. I suppose he's earning his keep as a bat, but it's a different story when he's got to do both jobs. He's always wanted to be the England wicketkeeper, first and foremost, and, and, and I guess a batter. Not second but he loves the idea of being the test keeper being the incumbent Mm. with the gloves so that's an interesting element to it like the idea that butler might be one of those who is less keen on going to australia i mean we don't know that in any he hasn't said that in as many words publicly but there was a, a report during the week that up to 10 england players have said that look unless conditions in quarantine are sufficient for meet their standards in australia that they may not be interested in in coming out and look that's bubble fatigue as well that's a matter of families and jeff you addressed this a couple of weeks ago with daniel norcross when he was filling in for me in all probability the politics of this is that they'll find a way through right but between mm. now and whenever they find a way through, you're going to see more of these stories where players in England are like, well, you know, if we're coming out on our own and it's a hard quarantine where we can't leave the hotel room and, you know, we're principally a white ball player, i.e. Butler, maybe it's less attractive. So, yeah, still a bit of a watch this space. Well, in some ways, CA is having a 
a dry run at this with the India Women's Series, which yeah. they've had to had to turn upside down in order to make it happen. So there was supposed to be a test at the Wacker. There were white ball games scheduled for Sydney and Melbourne. It was no surprise that those ones were moved, um, but they moved the test as well. The whole thing, holus bolus, into Queensland, I, I think with the understanding that you can't guarantee that any state border is going to stay open. You can't guarantee in Australia there could be an outbreak at any point, which means that one or other of the states gets red-listed by the other one and, and you mm. can't move between them. So they've just put everything in Queensland to avoid any sort of problems. God, imagine that happens. Imagine that happens in the men's ashes where we go to Brisbane, mm. we all pile into Queensland and we all, you know, that's a lot of assumptions at play here, but the whole ashes apparatus, and mm. this is not to diminish what you're saying about the Australia-India women's series, but a men's ashes series is a big beast, huge beast. Imagine they go, well, we can't leave Queensland. Maybe we have to play we'll an play Ashes five test. five tests at the, at the Gabba. Well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking more laterally. I'm, I'm kind of leveraging this comment more off what we've seen with the women's schedule, but maybe we're off to Townsville for an Ashes test. Maybe we're off to Carrara for an Ashes test. Wow. Maybe Scacy's going to come back from Mallorca for it. Um, you yeah. know, uh, Scacy will be there at Carrara. Oh. The big light towers. I'll play it under lights with the pink ball, you know. It could yep. happen. We'll get England to stop by the Big Mango, um, <laughs> take some photos with the group. So, we'll, okay, so we'll play one at we'll play one at Carrara for Scacy, one at Tony Island Stadium, uh, the or the, the artist formerly known as in Townsville. What Maybe about one Cairns? On Island. What about Cairns? Well, there was a can test we, match played knock? at Cairns, wasn't there back in two thousand and three and two thousand and four? So that it's, yeah, it's already was. an Australian test playing venues. So that's got to yep. be the fourth test. And wh- where else could we get one? What can, about? Can we knock something? together on the Whit Sundays. Could we get a pitch together out of crushed coral or something? Um, <laughs> South Stradbroke know, Island or something like that. Best. Yeah, Straddy. They've got the sand mine out on Stradbroke Island. So, you know, there'd, there'd have to be some, some soil available if we wanted to set something up. I suppose what it really will be influenced by is where are the marginal seats? If my time mm. in politics is anything to go by, if you uh, – Queensland has a habit of having stadiums promised at election time for fairly retail politics reasons. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I haven't quite got the electoral map in my head in, in Queensland these days, but that might be how we can get a stadium bunked together quite quickly where one isn't at the moment. Mm-hmm. Maybe Bob Catter can litigate the case that he gets one uh, out, in his part, out in his part – where he's Toowoomba, isn't he? No, he's, I'm, well, he's no, he's he's pretty much the whole northern half of Queensland. Oh no, 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 not, not sorry, not Toowoomba, right? No, I've, I've got that wrong. He's um, what's the what's the main the main town that sits in in his electorate? There's a uh, there's a big bastard there, Mount Isa. Mount Isa, Mount is, Isa. Is, is, yeah. is um, is that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking. So maybe Mount Isa can be the fifth test, the fifth and final mm-hmm. test, and um, Bob Catter can be there to oversee it. Dare to dream, as I said before. We've, we've, had a, we've, we've got to have test cricket because every, every 30 minutes someone gets ripped apart by a crocodile in my electorate. With a thousand um, blossoms bloom. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Bob, you know, but Crazy Bob could he could get something up and running in no time at all um, <laughs> out, out, in, out in FNQ, you know, play it on red dirt maybe, I don't know, get do a double header with the Ute Muster perhaps. I don't know, get the Birdsville track involved somehow. Like let's, let's treat oh, this as a creative opportunity. Yeah, and, and the one I've missed out in all of this, if we're thinking about existing test playing venues, we can get, they can go to where you and I have been before, the yeah, Ecker. Okay. 
get the echo back up and going again where Bradman made his debut back in the summer of 28-29. See, this is where we, you know, I think we're, you know, I think sometimes we should be administrators. Yep. I think they're missing yep. out it's, here. Well, Outside the we box thinking. We should be consultants for administrators because <laughs> we get paid way more that way and you don't get any of the shit when things go wrong. That's the absolute ideal. Outsource, outsource, outsource. So this is potentially you know, what might happen. This, this is what's already happened with the uh, Australian Women's Series where they're going to be playing one-day internationals in Mackay, which is uh, up on the, the far north coast. Well, I'm sure people in Queensland will argue over what's far north and what's Mid-north. That's where one of the uh, rugby league grounds that I mentioned before, when uh, that's in Dawson, isn't it? Dawson got themselves mm. a rugby league ground at some point, uh, I'm pretty sure, in one of the elections. I think I've been there. I might have been to the opening. Anyway, it's a long time ago mm-hmm. now. The fine, fine work of George Christensen, who's um, who's probably going to join up with um, crazy Craig, what's his name? Who's Craig Kelly. Work for, worked <laughs> to cl- I'm getting text messages from him now. They're, they're doing a big rollout with Clive Palmer's cash, backing him to... Uh, to get more people to eat horse deworming paste or whatever it is that their agenda is. Uh, so, yeah. So I liked it better. I liked it better when the only Craig Kelly I knew was the one that was pinching Jason Dunstall in the goal square at Victoria Park. <laughs> um, so, so all of this is by way of saying that the thing that CA have managed to set up with the Queensland government has the Indian team quarantining in a sort of resort situation where they've got more access to outside they're able to, they're sort of within a larger bubble, if you will. So they're not locked up in one hotel room. Um, They're able to move around a bit more. And and so this is the sort of pitch that I think that they're making to the ECB, that they'll be able to do something like this for the Ashes players, Um, to, to, to have them have a little bit more freedom of movement that might make it more bearable to do the two weeks. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm sure that the right people are on it because that's going to be a precondition of the the whole thing working out. It feels as though increasingly, Jeff, that this is going to be Justin Langer's final summer as Australian coach. I just can't shake that. I can't shake that Mm. belief that he's giving it his best shot. I mean, he spent some time with a with a friendly journo over in WA this week, telling his side of the story about how they had a you know good honest chat. He and the boys and he and the senior players and they've gotten through it and they're all past it and so on. But Haven't they had about six good, honest chats? Hasn't this been the line that's been spun every time that yep. the story's come up? It's, oh, we've all sat down and had a heart-to-heart and we've got through it. And if the heart-to-heart, if at the end of the heart-to-heart the position is still, you really give me the shits, then a relationship isn't going to work out. Like, there's no heart-to-hearting that's going to fix that. Well, it's in the it's, it's in the same song, isn't it? Hearts-to-hearts and hands-to-hands. I mean, it's, a, you know, it's a, they, they sing a football song together and join in the chorus and, you know, punch 20 beers, maybe punch 10 cones, what we were talking about on Storytime last week, per that, that fan of Adam Voges back in Dominica in 2015, and get on with it. But no, mm. look, I, I think in all probability... They're just running the clock out, aren't they? Because making a decision on Langer right now would vindicate the the behaviour of, of some who've been briefing against him. It would, you know, be seen as a media win. You know how sometimes like it can be like, yeah. no, 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 we won't give in to this because it will be a win for, you know, the sort of nebulous idea of the media. So I'm sure they'll they'll stick with it and like he might go on and um, win the Ashes 5-0 and they re-sign him. But I think even if they win the Ashes that... We've we've kind of reached that stage. I might be wrong, but yep. it, it just feels like we've 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 got to that point now where they'll 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 allow him to have the the glorious exit at mm-hmm. the end of the Ashes, as so many players have done over the years. He'll get to as do he it did as player yeah, and as coach, and he'll say that let, I've, let I've him have my... the perfect fifth test. You know, out you go, or. 
they lose the ashes and it makes it very easy for <laughs> CA to say, oh, well, time to, time to move on. Because, you know, not to lose sight in this that, yeah, England might be sort of half, well, two-thirds of a team at the moment, but at least they've been playing cricket. Like, at least people are criticising them because they've been playing a lot of test matches and haven't been playing so well in some of them. Australia hasn't played a fucking test match. They, they will have played four in nearly two years by the time they start the Ashes. Yeah, I four mean, tests. think about Nathan Lyon's trip through the, the 390s. It's going to take him about two years to get from 390 wickets to 400 wickets. And that's no exaggeration. It's going to take him almost like two three. years. It's going to... He seems yeah. like Odysseus trying to get home. <laughs> He's never going to get to 400. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, well, that's all kicking off in the background. Jeff, before we finish the first segment, uh, remiss of us not to reflect on the passing of Ted Dexter during the week at age 84. Mm-hmm. Fair to say that Ted Dexter was an ideas man who lived life uh, to the full uh, in, well, every possible way, really. But as a batsman and as a stylist, uh, 62 test matches across a decade between 1958 and 30 of his tests as captain, including uh, the tour of 62-63 uh, to Australia, where they, they won that first test at Melbourne that we've talked about on Storytime before, in excess of 4,500 runs at 48, great numbers, um, made nine test centuries, most well known for maybe the 70 he made against uh, Griffith and Hall uh, at Lord's that test, which ended with uh, Colin Cowdery walking out with the, with the plaster cast on his hand, uh, where they drew in the final over in 1963 at Lord's. I think that in, in some respects, the the mantra that he that he talks a lot about as a as a coach or as a as a as a player, a post player about playing beside the ball uh, has been quite relevant recently to the conversations that a lot of former England players who uh, who played under well not under Dexter strictly speaking he wasn't the coach but he was the chair chairman of selectors and he drilled it into that generation of players that you don't play behind the ball you play side on you play next to the ball. Uh, and that's exactly what we're seeing from Joe Root at the moment. I'm not sure if you caught that ECB clip, Jeff, on, on social media where they posted every delivery or every scoring shot, rather, of Root's 121 at yeah, Leeds I, last I like week. that. And I've, I've been interested to see that before. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in my life doing things like reading text commentary of innings back mm, and reconstructing mm. them based on shot by shot. But that's always been one of the frustrations with watching highlights is that you know they'll show you 13 boundaries but nothing in between and I suppose that the balls that you leave and defend are also relevant they're also part of the story but a lot of it's also about how do you score when you score and so much of that root innings is about backing away a little bit or or just just shuffling the feet a bit just making room to play through the offside to find a relatively risk-free way just to turn the strike over again and again to good pace bowling. Yeah, well, A, it's great content, using the modern term. B, it's, uh, it kind of reinforces that Dexter point, right? Like, how many times do you see Root in that compilation just playing the ball carefully between, let's call it, cover point and, and third man? And that's born of the fact that he's... Well, Root's talked about this as well, hasn't he? That he had two trigger movements back in 2019 when he was getting in trouble to the straight ball. So by definition, more front on as the ball was arriving. Now he just goes back straight and has a more side-on approach to the ball and that seems to be suiting him pretty well given he's clocked six tonnes this year. So... I found that interesting from a cricket perspective. But yeah, back to Dexter, you know, married the French model and all the rest of it and had that that horrible, quite graphic incident with the Jaguar that that ended his career where he kind of nearly had his calf taken off, literally had to put a piece of his calf back in uh, to to the side of his leg. 
Um, he was a selector during a, a pretty tough time for English cricket in a way when you consider that it's 1989 until 1993, but in a different kind of way. That's an interesting generation that came through under him, players mm-hmm. like Mike Atherton, for example, and yeah. that really wonderful series they had in the West Indies in 1989-90. That was a series that he was overseeing. It may have just been a problem that he brought the same mindset from his batting to his selecting, you know, got to score as many runs as possible, got to select as many players as possible, <laughs> you know, just just got to rack up the numbers. He probably did get a rack up a ton within that decade, um, the way they went through. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and you hear those players talk about him sort of being there in the in the leathers when he was riding his motorcycle. He's probably in his sixties by that stage, but had that you know that that disposition. And then uh, I suppose in in terms of his biggest lasting legacy, according to his own words, was that. He developed the the player rating system. He dreamt it up in the eighties, and it became, mm. I guess, what what we now use more than ever before. Like, how often do we refer to a player going up to number one in the rankings or whatever it is? Well, mm. it, it was Dexter who was a big part of informing uh, that algorithm, which is yeah, it's it's not it's not a small thing to do on the way out. He was admitted to the ICC Hall of Fame during the World Test Championship final this year, so a lot of lovely words were spoken of him then. Uh, Lord Ted, as he was known, uh, the Cavalier player um, and yeah had that kind of life of an aristocratic Brit of a certain age at a certain time uh, where he he was able to lead a a certain life which would be unachievable and unattainable for most people but he certainly made the most of it and gave a great deal of that to cricket. Yep well done Lord Ted farewell and I'm glad that he got into that Hall of Fame before he decided to take his leave of this plane of existence. Uh, Jeff, before we wrap up the first segment of our show today, I think that we will, as is the custom on the weekly show, just find time for a tiny little spot of nerd pledge, nerd pledge, the reverse quiz, the game that we play with people on our patron page. Uh, we need to find ways to fund the show, and one thing that happens is that people send us contributions to play this game and uh, what they do is they send us an amount of currency but it's not a normal number not a round number it's a specific number it's a it's a it's a niche number and it's specific because it relates to cricket in some way they know how and we don't and we have to try to work out what it is yes we do and the number we have this week is an unusual one i think it's the first time we've received this number i'll explain it's 0.00 from adrian scotty muller His clue reads, and this will help inform what you're about to tell us about, Jeff, I'm sure. I love the shows and I'm sponsoring you as a Julio at 10 bucks. So he's in for, for, not in for a penny, in for a pound. He's in for a penny, in for 10 bucks. But my number is zero. I know that's not actually a number. More precisely, 0.00. My brother Chris reckons I was never much chopped with the willow, but I'm reasonably confident that I was a better batsman than this chap. Here we go, Jeff. Have fun with it. I love this. And I love this also because, apologies to Adrian, I actually missed this one because he did come in as a Julio. Some people don't play Nerd Pledge. They just send a round number and and that's it. And we Mm -hmm. love and welcome them. And so Adrian, bless him, was chipping in 10 bucks. And I thought, all right, that's a $10 Julio. And then he said, actually, there is a number attached to this. So we're we're running a bit late with Adrian because this number dates back to maybe it's November last year so if you're hearing that don't panic that we're only up to November I think we're a fair way further on than that but zero 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 and given the time that it came in I figure it pretty much has to be about Zahir Khan not the Indian fast bowler with the 300 and whatever test wickets Mm. but Zahir Khan Pakteen who was an Afghan kid who debuted 
just after he'd turned 20 in 2019. He's a left-arm wrist spinner. He's still, still around in national consideration. But at the time, Afghanistan were playing a test series against Zimbabwe. And I think that series had just come to an end. And at the end of this series, Zahir Khan had batted six times in test cricket and had made zero runs in <laughs> Test cricket. He'd, he'd been out three times for a duck and he'd been stranded on naught not out three other times. Uh, so he'd started that against Bangladesh. Uh, he was not out in his first innings, so abandoned because Rashid Khan was on 50-something and, and tried to put one over the fence and it didn't work. There's a certain theme that indicates a lack of faith from his teammates in the batting ability of Zahir Khan <laughs> because every time he's not, not out, it's off about two balls. Like they're not hanging around when, when he comes out at number 11. So he, he was not, not out in both innings against the West Indies and then made a pair against Zimbabwe. So it hasn't gone well with the bat, but he has played in two test wins out of his three matches and he's taken seven wickets at 34 so he's he's not going too badly but then we might see him we, we might see him in Australia Jeff that we've we've heard today I mean I don't know what to take from this but we've seen reports this evening my time that the Afghanistan tour has been greenlit by the Taliban I mean I can't that's a really weird sentence to say out loud um, mm-hmm. but such as the the global the state of global cricket right now that that's actually a thing so yeah maybe we'll see uh, Zahir Khan young Zahir Khan uh, taking the field at Hobart in November well we we can only hope and and hope to see him do something with the stick but it was also worth noting something I, I noticed while looking at this series in the same test one of the same tests where where Zahir Khan played and made a pair. He didn't play in the other test in that series, but someone who played in both tests in that series was the Zimbabwe player Wesley Madaviri. Now, he bowls some off-spin, Wesley Madaviri. He debuted in that series, played both of his tests in that series and hasn't played since, perhaps unsurprisingly. He was not required to bat in the second innings of the first test because they won by 10 wickets, but they lost the second one, and in the second one he made a pair. So he was out for naught each of his three innings in the series. He made a first ball duck in the first test and in the second he made another first ball duck and then a third ball duck. But he's not a tail ender. He was batting at number five, Wesley <laughs> Matavira. <laughs> he does not have a very good record at lower levels. He's got a, I think he averages about 20 in first class cricket, but he's made some runs in T20s and maybe they figured he was a sort of a punt player to, not a Rishabh punt, but a, just a take a punt player, but maybe both to pop in the middle order and see what happened. Anyway, didn't quite work. No surprises, he hasn't played since. They did play a couple of tests recently, Zimbabwe, and Wesley Matavira was not part of it. But as it stands, he is the only player in in test history to have three dismissed ducks and nothing else in a whole test batting career. Nobody else has just played and been out three times for naught and that's it. It's never happened. Because we've had pairs to never play again, but no one's yes. done it thrice. Yes, quite a lot of pairs to never play again. Chad Sayers, Dr Sayers, Dr Sayers was one. Maybe the most recent one, Gavin Hamilton, your mate. Fred Grace. Never attend my WhatsApps. Fred Grace died on the boat afterwards. Hard to be a brother of someone better than you, um, Fred Grace. I was talking about Fred Grace's passing recently, as one does, with somebody. And Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. We did quite a bit on this on Nerd Pledge at some point, story time at some point. And we heard about him dying because he had the the wet mattress on the boat. Do you remember this? The wet wet, wet Um, mattress on the boat back from or the boat to? Probably the boat from... 
Australia on an early ashes trip. Uh, well, I yeah. suppose it wasn't even the ashes at that point. Maybe it was just. He was afflicted with pneumonia and that did him in at age 30, I think, the doctor's brother. Right. Although it was very much a thing at the time uh, to to blame someone's illness and death on some really specific incident and then that would just be picked up as an article of faith and repeated in obituaries and so on and then keep being, you know, they'd say, he was never the same since there was a small explosion at the match factory that startled him in 1788 and he never got over the shock, you know. And and people just repeat it because they've heard it often enough. So whether it was a wet mattress, I don't know. But speaking of pairs in the only test you've ever played, another Afghanistan player from the same Zimbabwe series nailed that feat. So Abdul Malik Khan, who was opening the batting, in one of the tests, he got a first baller and a third baller, just like Wesley Mataviri, and he was playing in the same series. So he hasn't had a chance at a third innings to see if he makes a third duck opening the batting and, and may not. Rashid Patel, who was a, a 1980s Indian left armour, he got a pair in his only test. A couple of 1940s Kiwis named Len Butterfield and Gordon Rowe. And then there are four ancient South Africans from before World War One. But among their number and in their era, someone who nearly qualifies but doesn't quite, because he only played one innings in his test career and had one duck from his one test match was Stanley Snook, who was the older brother of Tip Snook. We always hear (laughs) from Tim Wigmore that younger siblings are better players. So Tip Snook, better player. Stanley Snook, one duck in his only innings. WG, made a shitload of runs. Fred Grace, slept on a wet mattress and died. <laughs> Doesn't work if you're the older sibling. That's the way it is. So that's where I think somewhere in there is the 0.00 for Adrian Muller. And thank you for your patience, Adrian. Appropriately, uh, we're talking about 0.00 because supported as we are by Brickland Brewing, the Brickland Brewing Corporation. <laughs> Brickland Brewing Community. Stop calling it the Brickland Brewing Corporation out of the Brickland Brewing Community. Far better that way. They now produce... Mm-hmm. A low-alcohol beer, because there is now more demand for low-alcohol beer than ever before. They, mm-hmm. they find that in surveys. They find that in research. And, indeed. The and indeed, says... And I'm not surprised. You mentioned Tim Wigmore. Tim Wigmore has written many, many articles for many publications about, mm-hmm. well, lots of topics, uh, associate cricket being one of them. But another topic he enjoys, when he does a bit of social commentary, uh, is that people get on, on the piss less now and they party less. In Eng- this is an England study. He's basically gone through and worked out that nightclubs, you know, there, there are fewer pills taken, there are fewer beers drunk and fewer nightclubs open. He's pretty much making the mm. case that we're a, we're, you know, we're a generation of wowsers and he, he links it all back to the joke. Has Wiggy considered that maybe this is just happening around him? <laughs> you know, no, there is some empirical, there is some empirical research that's been done here. He links it all back from memory to the global financial crisis of 2008, 2009 okay. and, you know, the, I guess the relative levels of uh, disposable income. However... I'm getting off topic. My point here is is that there is a low alcohol offering. So I'm not sure whether it's 0.00, but, you know. It's not. Right down. Right down. I'll tell you about it. It's, okay. It's, I think it's 1.1%. Okay. It's not a nothing, but it's a might as well be nothing, you know, unless you, you'd need to be you'd need to be trying to shotgun about 30 of them <laughs> you'd in need to be You need to be our bloke at Dominico we mentioned on Storytime. I've already yeah. referenced him once, but the 10 yeah. cones and 38 beers. Now, if you add 10 cones to 38 1.1 beers, yeah. it's still going to be a fairly hefty day on the tonk. What, but you've got to really want it. 1.1% cones. <laughs> like, <laughs> can, 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 
I'm, sh- I'm sure you can get that in in America now, where they've got the massive weed industry that all of the um, all of the senators and, and like people in Congress are investing in. Um, they're like, yeah, it's fine. We'll leave everyone in jail who used to sell weed because you know they don't, they don't look like us. Um, but you know, we'll all invest in it and get rich. I'm sure they've invented like a you know the the, the mid strength cone and the you know the, the the foster's light ice cone if you will so but, but to, to come back to brick lane i think brick, you know let's get let's get off cones and back to get off, off the, the cones. cones and back to the, the the task at hand yep so one issue that you've had with low alcohol beer is that generally a lot of the time it's tasted shit house you know and it, it has not has not been afforded the same care by those making it because you know, whatever. It's not like there are many choices. Like if you don't want to be drinking full strength beer, then you take what you can get. So Brick Lane care about people. And so they've made a hazy IPA, which is 1%. Which, I mean, a hazy IPA is, is the God tier of beer for my reckoning. Like it's a, it's an incredible style of beer, but to make that as something that you can have several of at a barbecue and safely drive home, that is the work of genius. And that is why I love Brick Lane. It, it reminds me of a joke about how low alcohol beer was seen in a certain era. How many beer drinkers does it take to change a light bulb? How many? None. They never touch light. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But he's uh, elbow but, in the ribs. But 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 no, uh, we do, and we're we're grateful that the hazy IPA exists. We're grateful for the relationship we have at Brick Lane, and we're thrilled to say that because of this, Adrian Muller will be in a position to gift a slab of Brick Lane. Mm-hmm. Any Brick Lane doesn't have to be. Uh, it doesn't have to be the uh, the hazy IPA low alcohol. It can be any of the any of the beers in the range that that, that tick the box. I'm not sure exactly which ones sit on the voucher that we're going to send you, but we are going to send you a voucher, Adrian. It's going to come into your inbox. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to send us an mm-hmm. address or a postcode or or a self stamped envelope or anything like that. We will simply email you through the details as to how you can mm-hmm. on send a slab of the Brick Lane brewing community best to where you want it to go. It can go to you. It can go to someone else. It's up to you. It can go to anyone in Australia. So assuming you're in Australia, Adrian, you can have it uh, or you can be you can be the, the, the father Christmas of beer for somebody else in September. Why not? There'll be one day in September, Adrian, when you send someone a slab. And a few other points to make here. One is that we would love you to follow uh, Brick Lane on all the social media platforms. They're in our show notes. Uh, we'd love you to take a photo having uh, one of their one of their drinks and uh, tagging them in, tagging us in. That'd be lovely. We'd love you to visit them at Queen Victoria Market or there in Dandenong where I grew up. That'd be cool. Well, probably not at the moment given everything's in lockdown. Everything's in lockdown. That's a really good point. That's quite naive of me living in the UK where nothing's in lockdown. But when in the fullness of time, you can still, I'm sure, access uh, this when you go down to the shops and go to the bottle shop and all the rest of it. Or as Jay points out in his voiceover off the front, you can buy the hoodie which would be nice. I'd love to have a Brick Lane oh, yeah. hoodie. At some point, I will make sure that I get a Brick Lane hoodie. I'm aware of hoodies. I've only got about three in the rotation, but gee, I wear them lots. I think that's a lot. Brick Lane Brewing Community. They're our friends. They're your friends. Uh, and now, thanks to the voucher we're about to send you, Adrian, they're your friend as well. Follow them. Be with them. Hi, I'm Isha Gua, and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. It's The Final Word, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon. It's nearing midnight in London. I'm spent. Jeff's drinking orange juice still. He's happy. 
we still have more to talk about before we wrap up the show. Quite mm-hmm. a bit going on in England, and we should just quickly skip through what, what, what well, the domestic stuff more more than the international stuff because we're only in August, which means we've got an entire month of cricket to go, and this tends to be the month of September where trophies are decided and all the rest of it and there's going to be an international series between England and New Zealand's women starting on Wednesday uh, mm-hmm. three T20s followed by five one dayers I'm doing seven of eight of those for Sky so I'll be floating around on television if that's your thing I, I will make the point Adam that in two minutes time at the time of recording it will be September in the UK it's already September here oh yeah um, but but you yep you said August that's not going to be the case it's two it's literally two minutes to midnight um, <laughs> that's true <laughs> that's true which will mean that I said to uh, Rach this morning that she's going to have to deal with me being unbearable playing big big sound all through September or as long as GWS are in the comp I, I gave it a blast with uh, Witty this morning when changing it happy this morning I was given a huge singing big big sound and I yeah. Yeah, had to explain that this will be part of our nappy changing routine through through September mm-hmm. and needs to be part of Winnie's life as well. Where are we? England women's domestic cricket. That's where we are. Mm-hmm. We're seeing players called up from the 100. This was a cool thing, I reckon. We're seeing runs made and wickets taken in the 100 directly influencing national selection within weeks. I mean, this is kind of, isn't what it was all about exclusively. The 100 isn't there just for England selection, but it's definitely part of it. It should be part of it. Well, it's the massive advantage factor that we saw from the WBBL in yeah. Australia that given that it started six years ago, they've developed now what's increasingly a generation of players who've been developed through the Big Bash and it meant that Australia has a much bigger reserve pool of players than, than any other country who mm. have played a decent standard and, and can be up to it when they come into the international team. Um, that's not been the case for England and so that's what they're part of what they're trying to build. So, you know, Tim Wigmore may say that nobody's pinging anymore but uh, a couple of pings for <laughs> Maya Bouchier and Charlie Dean, they got called up into the squad and then they've both been pinged out as, as COVID contacts. So I'm not sure they were going to make the 11 for the, the first match but they're sitting out the first match and now Emma Lamb has been called up as cover for them um, to potentially be available for the first 11. Yeah, great story, Emma Lamb. She made a century earlier in the season on the same day that her brother did for Lanx, Danny Lamb, and uh, she made another 100 in, I think I'm right in saying the Rachel Hayhoe Flint. She's made runs in the Charlotte Edwards Cup. I think she's second or third on, on the run scorers list there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, wonderful to see her get that opportunity, albeit as cover at the moment. But if not for the domestic structure, and this is kind of bolstering your point from before, Jeff, if not for what has been built underneath uh, the England team, that there's no way players like Emma Lamb are getting that exposure. And now they are. And now they're getting call-ups, and that, that's a positive cycle that we should be supporting. Yep, New Zealand are mm. there, ready to play the series. They've been playing some intra-club games. Um, my first thought when I saw that was it's probably the only win that any of them will get all tour. Um, <laughs> well, given, I'm, I'm a bit disillusioned with the state of New Zealand women's cricket was, at the moment. Not, not the players' fault, but um, there doesn't appear to have been... Like, I know there are people in that system who who work their asses off but maybe more broadly sort of top down they just went oh we've got some generational players you know in Bates, Satterthwaite, Devine Uh, oh look Amelia Kerr came through I mean Amelia Kerr made herself she was a good cricketer by the age of 14 it's not like NZC created that player so and then that's about it they just went oh no we're good we'll be a good standard forever and they're not you know the rest of them aren't up to 
aren't up to scratch, really. Mm. Yeah, they've, they've got that, that kind of thing about, you know, what is it, the footy team that draws the intra-club, like, you know, whether they you know, actually go on and win a game on tour. A few things to add to that. I spoke to Susie Bates last week, who is back in business, had a long chat to her for my column in the cricket paper. It's the first time this was lost upon me a little bit. So there's... Bates, who's missed the better part of two years, but especially since last October that the internationals that you were covering for the ABC, Jeff, when mm, she did her shoulder. shoulder, she originally thought that wasn't going to require surgery. In the end, it required serious surgery, so serious that she considered quitting cricket altogether. So she's not bowling at the moment. She's playing purely as a batter. But before she was missing, Amy Satterthwaite was missing for about a year on that leave after having her baby, Grace. So it's been a really long time since Satterthwaite, Bates and Divine, who missed a number of games earlier this year when she took some time off on the basis of feeling as though she needed some time away from the game to freshen up. In fact, she's spoken quite frankly about that, about the, the mental duress she was under at the time. So all three of their biggest stars have, have spent serious time away from the game through COVID and indeed before COVID uh, with Amy Satterthwaite missing that World Cup in 2020. So, yeah, but the coach Bob Carter um, said during the week that he's chuffed to have all three of them on the park. Unfortunately, no Amelia Kerr, who's elected to sit out of this series on mental health grounds. Uh, she, she didn't want to make the trip to England. So uh, yeah, that is a real shame because Amelia Kerr is an absolute star. But they have real belief about the World Cup next year in New Zealand. I don't think it's a million miles away from where actually the New Zealand men were in 2019. They rocked up in England with like no prep for that World Cup. They hadn't played good 50 over cricket for a couple of years and they ended up having a, a great run as we know and, and made the final and you know, bearish to margins and, and all that. So I think that New Zealand feel as though, and you know, it's not the first time you and I have made this observation, Jeff, that the golden generation have one last chance. Well, it's for real this time. They've got one last chance and it's in New Zealand at home, a World Cup. It means a tremendous amount to Bates personally and their colleagues. And look, yes, they probably aren't going to be as strong. They're, they're definitely not going to be as strong on paper as Australia and England, but at least they're getting the opportunity to play eight games against England. Uh, five of them will be 50 over games. Then they've got a home summer so like, they have a bit of a build-up if they are going to get their act together mm. and find a combination, a formula that might get them towards the pointy end of a tournament. And if they get to the final four, well, you know, anything's possible. It is, and and who knows? And and I will say, you know, I would love to see it happen. I'd love to see them take that one last chance and get to a final and, you know, have the opportunity to do something special. I, I just, I don't see it happening. I, I can be pretty frank about that. Like, they don't have an 11. They don't have a nine. They, they've, they'll put out three or four players who are up to the mark and, and all of the pressure is on those on that big three that you mentioned. They're supposed to do everything. They're supposed to win every game for New Zealand and if they don't, then it won't happen. Um, you know, mm. there's the next level down just isn't there and they're trying to patch holes in an 11 even when they've got all of their first choice players available so it's just not a recipe for success Susie also uh, well I was probing her on this really about test cricket of course you know, she made a debut 15 years ago she made a debut for New Zealand and she's 33 years of age now so she's been going around for a long time and never had a chance to play a test match this obviously should be a multi-format series. It's mm -hmm. a real shame that it's not. And Bates made the point to me that, like, you know, the formula's there now, isn't it? Three T20s, three one day as a test match, and, yep. and away we go. And even though she wasn't far away from giving cricket away, if her shoulder wasn't quite right in this rehabilitation process, she said that she'll try and hang on because she think well if she thinks it's possible that there might be a test match on the horizon, that might be enough to extend her career a little bit. Like she isn't making any commitments beyond the 2022 World Cup, but like if she feels as though they might end up snagging a test match in 2023 or 2024, and look, we saw Todd 
Greenberg from the ACA last week arguing strongly on behalf of the Australian women having more opportunities to play red ball cricket domestically and yep. with a view to playing more test cricket. Presumably that would loop in New Zealand at some stage. So, you know, th- there is some hope there for Bates and others who might get that I chance. Think, uh, I think the issue here, and, and I, I haven't investigated this, so I'll, I'll preface that, it's not like I've put in the calls to back this up. But what I suspect is that the reason there's no test match in this England series is that New Zealand cricket don't want it. I'm sure that if – I feel pretty confident that if NZC had backed the idea, then the ECB would have gone with it. They did for the India series, so why not? But it's New Zealand cricket who don't want to get themselves on the hook for paying for women's test cricket in return. They don't want to have to put on test matches when teams tour New Zealand because that costs money. And you know, New Zealand cricket is operating on a much, much smaller budget than any of the big three countries in cricketing terms, both in their men's and their women's cricket. But their number one objection to it is cost. It costs money to put a game on for four days. It's harder to sell than it is to sell T20s and whatnot. So it's better to cram in as many white ball games as you can. They don't want to have to do it when Australia go to New Zealand. They don't want to have to do it when India go to New Zealand. And so if New Zealand cricket agree to play any away test matches, they potentially have to pay for the hosting of home test matches. Yeah, it's fairly sound logic. You're dead right about New Zealand cricket not having an interest in playing women's test cricket. Again, this is something that Bates is fairly upfront about in the context of They've got of an active this series. to it. They, yeah. they, they have expressly said they don't want to do it. Yeah, that, that's right. And look, it, these things can change, right? It's only a few summers ago where there were insiders at senior levels of CA that didn't want 50 over cricket for women. They thought only T20. Mm. And now the Australian administrators have been on a bit of a journey and now we're hopefully at a stage where we'll see more of these multi-format series of course uh, India are playing a test match and England this summer which is obviously a great thing but yeah I I reckon that it is a bit of a stumbling block with NZC Uh, yeah I I didn't mean to sort of impugn the ECB by saying this should be a multi-format series I'm certain that as you say if there was a if there was a consensus there that they wanted to do it they would have found room but Unfortunately, it's not to be. Uh, it would have been a nice way to have capped off what's been a wonderful domestic season here. Of course, we've got the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy, more cricket to come. Uh, the Charlotte Edwards Cup has been continuing. Uh, we've uh, sort of seen, again, players from the 100 like Alice Capsey doing great things. And uh, Jeff, uh, I was issued with a reminder of how young the Alice Capsey is today when a statement went out from Surrey, which was celebrating the fact that she's been picked to play in the school games. Now, I wouldn't have a scooby what the school games are, but you know, <laughs> um, you're only playing in the school games if you're a kid. And, and Capsey, um, despite her enhanced stature in the senior game, is still very much a work in progress. I mean, she's 16 years of age, for Christ's sake. I mean, it's a, it's remarkable that she's been able to um, do so much so quickly and she can't be far away from an England call-up, like a proper senior England call-up. I'm sure she'll end up making her international debut when she's like 17 or 18, the way things are trending. I know what the school games were down the creek across the road from Eltham High. Um, <laughs> <laughs> faster sprint across the road away from the teachers. Um, yeah, the, the hydro engineering category, all the rest of it. Um, yeah, I mean, kids doing useful things at school age, it just staggers. Like, just, it, it, it boggles my mind. I don't know. Like, all I was thinking about was how to make homemade explosives or, you know, just <laughs> ways to fritter away your youth and then you see these 
these high achieving teenagers. It's just a bizarre thing. I can't understand it. You know, it's like it's like a dog walking in on its hind legs carrying a tray of martinis. You're like, hang on, you're not supposed to be doing that. <laughs> you're 17. You're supposed to be setting fire to a bus. You know. Um, so yeah, look, look, good on her, Alice Capsi. Bit a bit of a bit of chat around saying that she's got to come to the ashes. She's got to go to India. She's got to go to India. Yeah, I don't think they should do that. I think asking a 16-year-old to quarantine for a fortnight in Australia before... No, let, let, let's, you know, one step at a time. England is sorted for Ian Wiz when it comes to having players ready to come to Australia, right? Like, let's not get ahead of ourselves. But, you know, th- there will be plenty of opportunities for her soon enough. Great to see Eve Jones leading the, the Charlotte Edwards Cup runs. Hypercourst, the great man, Mm -hmm. uh, made this point on Twitter as well, uh, playing for the Central Sparks. She is kind of who it's all about when it comes to having a domestic structure. She was there as a productive member of the, I'm pretty sure it was the Loughborough Lightning in the first year of the Kia Super League. I'll be corrected on that if I'm wrong. But the point here is, is that she gets the chance in the Super League, which would have meant that she was a professional cricketer for what, I don't know, eight weeks a year or something like that for a number of years. But mm. now she's a proper professional cricketer as one of these contracted um, regional players. That doesn't mean mega bucks, but it does mean that she can dedicate more time to developing as a player as she has. So leading the runs in that comp, we've already touched on Emma Lamb. She's second on that measure. And George Adams, who keeps on keeping on in excess of 200 runs for the Southern Vipers. Uh, the Vipers are playing against the Northern Diamonds in the semi and the winner will take on the Southeast Stars who are based at the Oval in the final of that 20 over competition uh, Bryony Smith uh, for the Stars is leading the wickets and yeah players like Nicole Harvey from the Western Storm and Tara Norris from the Vipers I mean they are far from household names even in the women's cricket community far from household names like even in our little world like you, you know and, that, and that's a good thing it's a great thing that this other group of players I think I think Harvey's 27 or 28 years of age. I mean, they never would have had any prospects of, of being able to influence major competitions like this until the change in structure. So, yeah, that's that's an exciting uh, finals day, which is coming up, I think, on the 5th of September, so the, this time next week. So many competitions in, in English cricket. I'm quite jealous in a way because, you know, in Australia we have, we'll like jam the 50-over thing into two weeks in September and then have Shield in October, November and March or April, whatever it is. and But there's not this glut of cricket at the next level down. The Champo is back, the Bob Willis. Yep. I, I did the, the county blog for The Guardian the other day. So it was probably my f- first time really I- engaging with county cricket as a thing. Like I've, I've been to lots of county grounds and doing things like Australia playing tour matches against mm-hmm. uh, the cream of the crop of Essex when Jesse Ryder was opening the bowling and that sort of thing. But as someone who famously on this show couldn't name all 18 counties, uh, trying to cover them all, I'm going to say I was one person who was relieved that one of the games was cancelled because all of the Surrey team got pinged out with COVID close contacts and couldn't go to Durham because it meant there were only eight games to cover instead of nine. <laughs> because that doing that at three or four in the morning started to get pretty tough <laughs> going, Okay, who's doing what where? Who's playing on which ground? Which shire is it? But it's exciting at the same time, having eight games all starting at the same time and I was running a competition of like who was, you know, who was the run leader on the day, like who's got the highest score as of 11am, that kind of thing. (laughs) In terms of individual players, you've got all of these former 
England openers who were not doing so well. All the number nines and tens were making runs. Um, the ones who weren't making runs were Dom Sibley and Alistair Cook and Adam Lyth and Mark Stoneman and Sam Robson and you know all these all these players who have opened up for England. Mm, mm. Tough at the top of the order, cash in down the bottom if you're a nine or a ten. Apparently, smack forty off twenty balls um, when your team's nine for one hundred and twenty. There was a lot of that going around, so it was chaos, but it was good fun. Yeah, so. Well, we're into the divisional stage, so the six teams that came top two in each of the conferences comprised Division One, then the next six are in Division Two, and the next six in Division Three, which has caused some consternation. Might return to that in a minute, but yeah, Division One: Warwickshire, Lancashire, Yorkshire, Hampshire, Notts, and Somerset, and the results aren't necessarily going the way that you might think after a couple of days either. So. Uh, I won't go through them because it'll be redundant by the time this po- podcast is published. But yeah, the game I'm doing at Lords, uh, where Middlesex are playing Derbyshire, that's in Division Three. So, um, and look, it's a, it's still a first class game, and a lot of first class games are played where you cannot win the competition. Indeed, an entire division, that being Division Two, until last season, you played the whole season and couldn't win the comp. So I I, I do balk a little bit at the criticism. I acknowledge that it doesn't look great that four games are played at the end of the year in what's called Division Three, where they are playing for, some would say playing for pride, others would say they're playing for a, a tiny bit of prize money. But yeah, it does give the chance to blood a few players, think about next year, start the rebuild a fraction early if you're a side that's not gone so well, which is kind of the case with Middlesex. Steve Finn um, has signed a contract with Sussex uh, this week, uh, much to the dismay of Anna Forsyth. She was in our uh, in our YouTube comments today. You'd know Anna, of course, if you listen to Storytime, a, a regular correspondent of ours on, on The Final Word. Steve Finn's super fan, I should say. But no, that, that's emblematic of where, say, Middlesex are looking to the next generation and signing up young players on long-term deals, giving them a chance to play in these final four weeks. So it's not for nothing when you're thinking about the mm. longer-term strategy. Quite a good game. Well, it used to, didn't it used to be pre-divisional? Wasn't it all 18 counties in the one table? In which case, probably about 14 of them were playing for nothing because... You, you just wouldn't have there was no relegation you wouldn't have been absolutely in the and this and this is where the rose colored glasses bullshit with county cricket drives me fucking crazy right so there is a huge swathe of county fans who who completely rose colored glasses yesteryear when it was what was a 17 team comp before durham joined in 90 Two, I think it was, where, yeah, you're right. And you often read this in players' memoirs from the time. It's like, you know, they're, they're, by June or well, usually July, but sometimes June, you know who the two teams are who can win the comp, and then there is 15 who can't. That yeah. isn't great either. That's partly why they brought in two divisions, by the way, but that does mean that half of the teams yeah. cannot win the competition that they're starting off with. So, yeah, I, but I, even I've with, got... Even with two divisions, you might have two or three teams who might drop or two or three teams who might go up. That's right. But aside from that, if you're finishing bottom of the second, it doesn't matter. If you're finishing middle of the first, it doesn't matter. You know, I think of these teams as the Everton of cricket. Like if you're in that, (laughs) if you're always finishing in that middle of the table where, you know, oh, congratulations, you're eighth out of 20 again. Well, it doesn't really mean anything. Like yeah, that's, and, that's as meaningless as as playing four games in a in a divisional structure. And it definitely creates bad habits. So you think about what Division Two was. Some of these clubs became glorified feeder clubs. I mean, how many players have been developed by Leicestershire who have ended up elsewhere? I mean, even just last week, a player left Derbyshire. Now. Granted, he was from the Sussex system, but he was leading them for wickets in all, in all three competitions and he leaves them with a month ago in the season. Like, and, and the point I'm making here is simply that if you are in Division 2, getting out isn't just a case of kind of doing what Gloucestershire did a couple of years ago and developing a team over a number of years. If you are starting off at a huge disadvantage financially, 
Now, this is where the salary cap's a problem. You can pay up to a certain level, but there's no minimum. One implement I would bring in would be, well, you've got to pay a minimum of, say, 90% of the cap. And if that needs to be subsidised by the ECB, so be it. Because the disparity in wages between, you know, let's call them traditional second division counties, I hate that, but, you know, smaller clubs... Uh, you know, Jeff, you were at Derbyshire a couple of years ago, a club's budget like Derbyshire. You, you compare that to Surrey, who are able to pay all the way to the top of the cap. That's mm. too big a gap. That's not what we want across the game. And I think that having the conference system to an extent helps mitigate that because you start each year with all 18 teams a chance, at least a chance of being able to go all the way, which does hopefully um, encourage good habits and then you get this pointy end where um, the creme de la creme are playing against each other in theory at least is what's we, what we've got at the moment yeah. so um, but yeah there's a way to go there I'm on, an, on another rep of the final word maybe we won't do it today I'll, I'll skip through my restructure of the season where we can fit the 100 <laughs> the 50 over comp the blast uh, and and the championship all all in without crossing over each other. I have found a way to do it. I'm sure you have. I, I've, uh, I've I've solved. I've I've done the Rubik's cube uh, in 32 seconds and, and and made it all add up as it should. That's a bit of a when you said that metaphor Ted Dexter there. had worked out how to do the player rankings. I was the thought did strike me that that's exactly the sort of thing that you would love to do <laughs> as you left cricket to be like. That, to, to introduce some arcane system that was taken on by the ICC and still used decades later, absolute dream areas for A. Collins. Yeah, actually, why not? I'll do it quickly now. Here's how I fix it, right? Everyone's complaining about the 100. <laughs> very quickly, very quick. I realise now it's not that complicated. Everyone's complaining that the 100 marginalised the 50 over comp, and not unreasonably, by the way. You know, the 50 over comp, as good as it is and how much we enjoyed it, it was a lot of second-team players and a lot of young players who, who were getting their chance because of the, the 100, right? So you can't have them clashing. I would start the 50 over comp. I would play half of it, say four of the group games, where all the players are in March, which usually is in Cape Town or Dubai or Barbados. They're all on these spring camps. They're often playing friendlies against each other anyway. Let's make them count. Let's have, you know, let's have one group or one division based in one country and, and another another based in another. And it can be more than just a training camp. They can get four games under their belt, spend the rest of, uh, well, they get back to England, play a couple of weeks to finish that competition. I, I reckon that 50 over cricket is far more com- conducive to the cold than county cricket or, or championship cricket because in championship cricket it's it's five degrees outside the slips cordons all have their hand warmers in and there's not a lot of movement in 50 over cricket you're sprinting around the field you're kind of keeping warm you know the batters are rotating the strike through the middle overs and you know and, and there'll be crowds in and it'll be a bit of a thing so play that through the first half of april start the county season a little bit later play six games through to the end of the may instead of eight uh, then play the blast all through june all complete in june in July, you've got room for four county rounds rather than two, and you get those four county games in before August when they play the test matches. So all those complaints about no county cricket before the test series against India, that would overcome that problem. And in August, you start your marquee test series, and you have that alongside the 100. So in other words, much as it is with the, the Big Bash at the moment, you mm. play the tests and the three weeks that it, that it clashes with the, the 100, so be it. And then you get into the, the back end of the county season after that. So yes, the, the trade-off is there'd be no county cricket 
for three weeks in August, but you'd also have a window in isolation for 50 over cricket to start the season in some slightly different conditions and hopefully that would, would improve the game too. How's that sound as a pitch? I, I am not even qualified to have an opinion on how that sounds as a pitch, but I strongly <laughs> suspect that people on, on the Discord page and they'll so have on views. will be they'll jumping in with, with many opinions about, about that. But having the test matches and the shortest form go side by side does tend to work because you don't cannibalise, you know, you're not yep. really pulling the best short form players or not many of them out to, to be in a test team. I think there's one more thing we need to do on the show today before we wrap it up because we haven't done this in quite a long time. It has been a long time since anybody heard the beautiful strains of the Happy Birthday Sachin song. Sachin. 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 Take it away, Jeff. Well, we had to come back to Sachin this week because uh, we know that he loves wishing happy birthday to everybody he can on social media. But he went quiet for a while. He got sick. He had COVID, and then he just he wasn't feeling it when he came out of hospital. You know, he was he was doing a bit of serious stuff about sort of Indian national pride and so on. But he wasn't doing a lot of tweeting. Times were very grim in India with the COVID pandemic and. It wasn't a time for for light relief. But Sachin, this week, he's only bloody gone and done the Don. Now, the happy birthday Sachin (laughs) model is always Sachin putting up a photo of himself with a person who he's wishing happy birthday to. I think that's a prereq. And there's not many bigger power plays in cricket than to pop up the photo of yourself taken with Don Bradman. In this case, taken in front of a portrait of Don Bradman, which was maybe a power play by the Don, to be like, well, I've got this picture of me. Um, you're allowed to have your photo taken with me in front of it. But, you know, a nice moment of the, of the two short-statured great batsmen coming together. And did he also acknowledge Muhammad Yusuf's birthday, which is the same day as the Don? I saw a good stat online during the week that Muhammad Yusuf's uh, the player with the most test runs born on that day, not Don Bradman. Oh, very good. I don't think he did because I, I perused the feed pretty closely and I don't think Sachin has got Moyo in the feed. Mohammed Yusuf getting a lot of airtime this year as Joe Root works towards that. Joe Root on 1390 test runs for the year. He's got five matches left to try to get to 1788, the old Captain Cook of Mohammed Yusuf. <laughs> Never thought so of that. So he's... He's uh, yeah, he's three hundred and ninety runs away. He's going um, to he is going to shit it in. Joe Root's going to hit two thousand. You, you runs. say that, but but five test matches, making four hundred runs in five test matches is not a given. It's not, but the way he's going right now, did you watch that compilation? Yeah. Bloke's not hitting. Yeah. The bloke's just hitting the middle of the bat all day long. He'll be okay. he'll be sweet. He'll be fine. Even say you know he makes a ton in each of the next two tests. He's still got to go and make two hundred runs in three tests in Australia. There's no no guarantees. I wrote about this the other day. Like for him to do it, he's got to have a really good start to the Ashes. He's never made a hundred in Australia. Mm. He's got to go there and play as well there as he has everywhere else. And and so that's what I think will be really interesting if he breaks the record it pretty much means that England have a competitive start to the Ashes. So, you know, for those of us who want to see something other than an, another 4-0, 5-0, then we should be hoping for that, I suppose, although Australia may be cooked, as we said. Anyway, Sachin on the Don. Now, I love Sachin's tweets because have a listen to this construction. The folklore of Sir Don Bradman's batting genius 
is synonymous with excellence in sports. <laughs> Satch. You will continue to inspire sports women and men forever, thinking of you, Sir Don, on your birth anniversary. <laughs> birth anniversary. Now, it's such like weird corporate non-speak, isn't it? But what, what does that word tell it? The folklore of Sir Don Bradman's batting genius is synonymous with excellence. What? You see, do what? you think he's... Do you think he's got the blower out doing them himself a la Trump or is or is this is this a PR agency who's clipping the ticket on the way through and they have to throw in they have to they have to construct sentences that way to give the impression that they're earning their keep yeah, sort of something about cromulence and embiggens the smallest man. Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> I, there's a lot of it's quite a bit of content now, and it is content hill of content from Sachin that's like him filming little videos around the house and so on. Um, so I don't know if he's posting them himself, but you know maybe he is. But but he's he's got to be doing it. You know, it's not like he's being professionally shot all the time. So there's definitely an agency involved because he was doing like videos of him shaving his beard off and stuff like that, which are which are obviously somebody at the agency saying, "Oh, this will be good stuff for the kids. They love a TikTok. Let's do the thing where you put your hand up to the camera lens and take it away, and you look different." Oh, but yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where the. So just to, just to clarify, Sachin's shooting videos of himself around around the abode. Yeah, just like you know, uh, he you know with the dog or. Here's, you know, I I had gruesome stubble and I shaved it off or like here's me in the kitchen making my favourite food or whatever. Right. Yeah, he's okay. become a, he's an influencer now, I suppose. <laughs> but I suspect, so. I, I don't know, I, I can see maybe Sachin dictating this over the phone to someone else, like saying, you know, how do we want to convey the gravitas of Don Bradman? The folklore of his genius is synonymous <laughs> with excellence. Yes, that's it. That's what I want to say. Tweet, um, hit send, post through it. Hit send. Other uh, other Sachin activity included very very uh, excited about Bhavanab and Patel's silver medal in the table tennis at the Paralympics. Oh, um, did you? Um, did uh, I should I should give him a little shout out? Have you been watching the table tennis at the Paralympics, Jeff? Yeah, quite a bit of it. I, I would imagine I haven't, but I would imagine that it's the very enthusiastic commentator doing it the chap who gets very excited doing it for the host feed for ideas i've i've been getting everything off the world feed which is um i don't know who the people are who are doing it but it it, it hasn't been anything very notable i'll put it that way right well you would know if it were adam bobro who was uh, on the tools because he calls table tennis well certainly at the olympic games in such a distinctive style that there's no way that you couldn't know it's him. He's kind of devoted his life to commentating table tennis. Mm-hmm. In a way, kind of reminds me of our story. Like he's followed the sport around to be a bit of a freelance commentator. There have been like lovely pieces written about his idiosyncratic style and how much he throws himself into it, all the motion and all the rest of it. He dropped me a line after I was doing a Guardian shift talking about how great his commentary was and he must have, have a Google alert set up for his name or something like that and he tracked me down and sent me a note to say that you know that he wishes me well and wants me to probably write a story about him to which i said maybe we will have you on the podcast at some point to talk about your story well for the time being i'm going to mention you on the podcast adam bobro keep up the good work (laughs) yeah i imagine making it to the top of the table tennis commentary game maybe isn't as crowded a field as some but to, to do it with your own style is something to be proud of so yeah, Sachin was in there um, wishing happy birthday to uh, Chiranjeevi Garu, who's an Indian actor. 
He was celebrating Raksha Bandhan, the festival where you celebrate brothers, celebrate sisters. That's always a big part of the, the Sachin oh, nice. online year. He likes to get involved with that. World Photography Day, Sachin taking some photos on his iPhone um, for World Photography Day. It's good. Hopefully not, 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 not a Botham-esque photo, I hope. No, no. I, I, um, I, yeah, I, I stumbled across that photo again during the last week um, while looking up pictures of Botham to put on there while making the cover art for our YouTube. You, you never know what you find if you Google photos of Ian Botham and hit the image search. I'll tell you what, something comes up, so to speak. <laughs> the, uh, you, also just loved the I'm going to pretend it wasn't me thing. That was hackers. Those hackers who hacked my phone to do this one specific thing. And yeah, the, the, the Ian Botham I was hacked is, is as good as the Kumar Sengakara I was hacked. But I'll, I'll let Which you... Is, is, I yeah, mean, as good as Kim, the Kimas, Greg Hunt. Kumar's yeah. wearing his fucking whites. He was playing a game that day. It was during the bloody lunch break. <laughs> I mean, you know, he does a lot of great Look. great things for the game, but the eye was hacked and that they just posted one photo and then never never did anything it, further. It, it could happen to anyone. It could happen to anyone. <laughs> I, I think there should be a long German word for the moment of fear when you hit tweet and then think, what if I attach the wrong image? Ooh, you know, yeah. that's, I think that's an experience that, that many people could relate to. Final Sachin work, quite a few tweets about the Indian test at Lords. No tweets about Headingley. That was interesting. Yeah, not sure why that was. That might have been an appropriate YouTube strategy for us. Just do videos when <laughs> India do well and your YouTube following will swell. Don't do videos. Do not bother doing videos when India don't do well because no one will fucking watch them. <laughs> There will still be a a very small number of passionate England supporters who will watch. I also liked that Sachin retweeted something that someone had sent him on on Indian Independence Day, which Mm. noted that before he went out to bat for the last time in Test cricket, he was on 15,847 runs. So if Sachin had made a duck in his last innings, a la the Don, which is where we started, his career total would have been... 15,847. Indian independence was achieved on the 15th of August, 1947. Sachin's runs would have been... Like, if you were some sort of hyper far-right Indian nationalist, there would be nothing you would love more than having Sachin's career runs being the date of Indian independence. It couldn't have been more perfect propaganda-wise. Yeah, my birthday as well, 15th of uh, 15th of mm. the 8th. So what is it? So it's Indian Independence Day, my birthday, yeah. and VJ Day. There are the mm. things that happen on, on 15 August. It's not too dissimilar from the Alex Stewart 8463. So he finished with 8,463 mm. runs, and his birth date is the 8th of April 1963, which has to be the best cricket stat, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, of all the stuff we've stuff. we've come up with, that is the greatest. It's right there alongside Bannerman, I go as far to say. Uh, there was also Sachin posting with Mark Knopfler of Dire Straits. I think that's come up before. I seem to remember Definitely that, has. that must be on the annual yeah. cycle. Yeah. Sachin hanging out with some tigers on safari. Maybe it's not, by the way. I don't, I don't think we've been doing Happy Birthday Sachin for 12 months, which would suggest that you've definitely raised the, the Knopfler photo before. Mm-hmm. So that might be sort of veering into worn areas. Moment. Well, I'm just thinking Warren areas. You know how Warren has a number of selfies mm. of himself from years gone by that he that he pops up at different intervals. 
I mean, if you go back through the Instagram feed, if you really, really want to and you want to do a, a deep dive on this, there are some familiar photos, some familiar selfies that he must like quite a bit mm. that get a run quite both often. Both in style or...? Uh... <laughs> yeah, not, 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 not both in style, prawn in. But the point I'm making is just that maybe the Knopfler photo is... Or uh, both in style. <laughs> <laughs> The Nofla photo is the equivalent of a worn selfie that had just had just the right lighting that's been posted six times on Instagram stories or whatever. Right. And thus why it keeps getting a, getting a Guernsey in the Twitter feed for Sachin. And, and the last bit that I particularly liked was uh, Sachin pumping up Suresh Rana's book written by Barat Sundares. And so nice for Barat to get oh. some airtime on the Sachin RT feed. Good Probably for sold business. about 10,000 books off that tweet alone. I was going to say, I mean, has there ever been, I mean, Barat writing Dhoni, then Rainer's biographies. I mean, talk about guaranteed bestseller stuff. So I'm sure he's done a sterling job and I look forward to reading it and we'll probably get him on the show to talk about Suresh Rainer's book at some point. But that's money for old rope for a writer as gifted as Barat to tell the story of, of a cricketer or a couple of cricketers that have won World Cups for India. So that uh, that's the story of Happy Birthday, Sachin, for another however long it will be until we do it again. Beautiful. Thank you, Jeff. I think it's time. It's 25 to 1 that my late night... Jesus expedition uh, comes to an end thank yous as always uh, thank you to Brick Lane for their wonderful support of what we're doing here on The Final Word as I mentioned in the middle of the show check them out on social media pick up one of their beers take a photo with it that'd be nice thank you to everybody who's involved with us on Patreon we have just edged ahead of Jimmy Anderson again this is getting kind of ridiculous that we have now overtaken James Anderson on the final day of of the month, which means that when we hit one September, indeed we hit one September 35 minutes ago in the UK. So we'll be able to check this, but we might do it before the weekend. I think it's American Pacific time. Oh, right. A few more hours hours of being ahead of James Anderson. So at the moment, Jeff, we're on 6.35 or something. 6.35. We've we've opened up a lead, but we do tend to lose some at the end of the month or or people go on pause when their their cards aren't renewed and so on. So Jimmy on 6.29, I suspect we'll be in front in 24 hours or so when, when the cycle goes through. Yeah, so we'll get to overtake him again, Groundhog Day style. Or or, um, or another uh, flick I saw recently, which is almost a knockoff of Groundhog Day called, I think it's called Palm Beach or something like that. It's Palm Springs. Palm, it's I can, a great movie. I can recommend it. It is brilliant film. Brilliant film. Well, well, it's it's not a knockoff so much as a conscious extension of the idea of the Groundhog Day idea, right. which is, you know, what if you don't get out of it? What if what if that's just how things are, and it's a story that happens within that loop? And it's, I thought it was. I watched it during the lockdown last year. Admittedly, I think I watched it in hotel quarantine in Brisbane, so I was probably pretty emotional anyway. But I found it highly emotional, highly moving, very funny. I loved it. Palm yeah. Springs. Yeah, I think I, w- I think we watched it in one of our lockdowns here as well. While we're doing recommendations, Mr. Corman on Apple is a brilliant. If you're a Joseph Gordon Levitt fan, which I am way back. Yeah. Do a story of how Matthias Corman got to be the head of the whatever. <laughs> OECD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, nothing to do with that. Uh, the nothing. plucky story of an underdog who, who rose from nothing to become the head of the OECD. Yeah, who, who lied through his teeth when trying to garner votes for that position by pretending he gave a fuck about climate change after being part of a government that went out of their way to dismantle every bit of uh, work that was put into an emissions trading scheme. Yeah, that guy. No, not not him, but it's a good show. Uh, right, where are we up to? We're thanking people. We've thanked Brick Lane. Uh, we, we've thanked our patrons. Uh, we'll, we'll thank them again. Uh, you make not only what we do viable, but also 
lovely, especially on the Discord channel. I'm sorry I've been a bit absent on there recently. It's not you, it's me. Uh, I'll return more uh, in the weeks mm-hmm. to come to organise our game on the 17th of September, if nothing else. So You make is- it possible. You make my dreams come true. Ooh. Uh, uh. Talking about Joe Gordon-Levitt, of course, uh, in 500 Days of Summer when he's dancing around singing that song in a, in a nice little right. musical montage. Anyway, uh, thank you to everybody who has been watching us on YouTube and subscribed there. There have been quite a few of you who've, uh, who've migrated over there to watch our daily podcast. They'll start again on day one of the Test Match at the Oval, which I will actually be at the Oval. A number of people have asked me, why are you always at the Oval? I'm like, well, that's quite a long story, which I can't be bothered yeah. explaining, but I will be yeah, at the Oval. It's a cool- <laughs> order it's it's part of it's part of his residential detention program he's not allowed to leave the bounds of the oval yeah i do spend a lot of time his ankle bracelet goes off but i will be there this week as well uh, broadcasting that test match that fourth test match of the series so we'll be there doing that and to everybody who rates and reviews us on the various podcast apps that helps when it comes to charts and those sorts of things that are kind of boring on the outside but actually do make quite a big difference to who find the show uh, on the various uh, different yeah, podcast suppliers, be it Apple or Spotify or whatever else. Thank you, Jeff, for getting up early. Uh, a quick turnaround for you today, having gone to bed at stupid o'clock as always, to be able to do this for me at the other end of the day. And uh, thank you to our editing team from Bad Producer Productions, not least Dave Collins, who uh, does what he does for us a couple of times a week. Jay Mueller, Astrid Edwards, the team at BPP. Check out what they do. Uh, their link is in the show notes. They make lots of great podcasts. And I think that's it. Thank you for listening. This has been The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. We'll be back with the daily shows uh, in a couple of days from the Oval. Till then, farewell. You make my dreams come true. Thanks for listening to the Final Word Cricket Podcast. All of Adam and Jeff's previous episodes are available at finalwordcricket.com, including Storytime 20. That's 40 story times ago. 40. Almost a year's worth of nerd pledge. Why Storytime 20? Because it features comedian Will Anderson. It's a great chat. I think you're going to love it. Finalwordcricket.com for all things Final Word. And thanks once again to our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. Shop online at bricklanebrewing.com. Thanks for listening. More from Adam and Jeff real soon.